Warning, the Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. It's simple, really. You either want to grow in virtue and holiness, or you want to be a sissy whiny baby. If you choose to move forward, grab your whiskey glass, because the Catholic Man Show is starting right now. And welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting in studio. It has been an interesting couple minutes to try to get this thing going. Uh, but I think, with the help of Juan and the help of Jim, uh, we, will, we will persevere through this. I'm here with David Niles. Juan is on the buttons. Jim is at the door. We have two guests this evening, uh, this afternoon, both... Uh, coming back to the Catholic Man shows, so mm-hmm. I don't know, glutton, glutton for punishments, or I, I'm not sure, but I'm going going for my gold jacket. Going for the gold gold <laughs> jacket, yeah, yeah. So we have Bishop David Condola, Bishop of the Diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma, and we have Father Philip Bochanski, Executive Director of Courage International, CourageRC.org. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to have you both here. Thanks for thanks for coming. Good to be here. Great to be with you guys again. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Welcome to Tulsa. You just got here uh, this morning, like three hours, or three ago. hours, three yeah, hours yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, you had to get up at like two o'clock this morning <clears throat> to get here. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be giving a retreat. Yeah, I'm doing uh, uh, some talks tomorrow morning for uh, people in catechetical formation in the diocese, and then uh, going to give the keynote at the uh, in-service day on Friday for for teachers in the diocese. Awesome. Awesome. That'll be great. Then I got to fly back on Friday and say the masses on the weekend <laughs> at the <laughs> yeah. parish where I live. So right. Okay. All right. And so how so how was the Courage Conference, by the way? It, it just happened. You had a Benedictine, correct? That's this right. Year? Yeah. Uh, in mid-July uh, okay. last year uh, at Benedictine College in uh, what's that, Atchison, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, we weren't sure what to expect. You know, we had that whole year of uh, the troubles you right. know, with COVID. And we had a, a virtual conference that year. And uh, so we kept that component of it, uh, and we didn't know who'd be there in person. But we thought if we hit like 75 to 100 people, we'd probably break even. But 250 people came in person. I think it was just like that, awesome. that pent-up need for community yeah. and just seeing each other again. So it was really the yeah. spirit that was really, really awesome. And then we had another like 500 people uh, online, including like 200 people from uh, from Latin America. We always, mm. We've been doing the last couple of years. Uh, live stream with uh, with simultaneous interpretation and a couple of talks originally in Spanish. So people that never would have been able to make it, you know, even in non-COVID year um, to, to be there in person. But yeah, lots of participation. We're in 18 countries now. So mm. a lot of a lot of that is uh, represents Latin American countries. So that's yeah, awesome. it was, it was great. We're, we're going to be uh, at Mundelein uh, in Chicago uh, at the, the last week in uh, in July this year. So a clergy day. On Wednesday, the twenty seventh, and the conference opens twenty eighth. Think includes on the thirty first. So oh, okay. save the date, Bishop. So not not back at, at uh, Kansas. Not this year because yeah. we had our. It's I think it's our twenty twenty <clears throat> deposit got rolled over ah. two years. So we're going to go back to to <laughs> Mundelein and then then maybe uh, alternate after. Because you try to move around for the conference. We do. Right? Yeah, we, we, yeah. We have we have members all over the country. You so, said sure. July twenty eighth. July twenty eighth to thirty first. All right. 
Look, he's been on the calendar right now as we speak. It'd be a return trip to the conference for Bishop. You know, he was our Courage Chaplain uh, down in Texas. And then Mm -hmm. uh, when he moved up here to Tulsa, we got a phone call one day. He said, here's the contact information for the new Tulsa chapter of uh, Courage and Encourage. And Mm -hmm. uh, my assistant, Angelo, said, great, who's the chaplain? He says, I am. (laughs) For now, until I find somebody. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. we've been been, uh, friends for a long time through our, our work with Courage. Yeah. And now we have Father John O'Neill. Is he still the, the John the O'Neill and Todd Nance. Father oh, okay, Todd great. Nance. So Father Todd handles our Courage uh, group, and Father John handles our Encourage group. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop, why don't you maybe <clears throat> make the distinction of, in case somebody doesn't know what the difference between Courage and Encourage? So uh, Courage, of course, is the original uh, group that started and formed in New York all those years yeah, ago. 1980. Yeah, 1980. And... Uh, helps people who experience the same sex attraction and encourages a group that helps family members and or friends of people who experience the same sex attraction. I, I remember when we went to the conference a couple years back, <coughs> yeah, uh, there was there were several guys who were there from like Poland. I mean, they were uh-huh. they came this yeah. before uh, COVID, but uh, they there's Poland, somebody, maybe somebody from Germany. I mean, there were, there were several people yeah. from uh, international from water. Brazil, Argentina, yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. It's it great to see. You yeah, right it's great. That our whole theme that year was was friendship, which is why we invited you mm. guys to, uh-huh. to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, good uh, friendship, especially for men. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And the the great thing about the conference is that you know it's for anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was such a great vibe, uh, just a great community at the conference. So if if you never considered going mm-hmm. then, absolutely i mean really it's not like oh you know that's not my thing no it's it's everybody's thing it's it's because it's a, you're talking about human formation essentially right. yeah know? and and you know our our whole program at courage is the five goals that our original founding members uh, came up with so live chase lives develop a life of prayer and dedication uh create an atmosphere where everybody can share their story uh, strengthen and form chase friendships and give good example. So mm-hmm. like, that's the hey, Christian I'm life. Hey, I'm trying to do those things. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I remember when I first got involved back in, in Philadelphia, uh, my archbishop, Archbishop Shapu, he said, do we, really, do we need like a separate group? And uh, he was right in, in one sense that, you know, every parish or hopefully has groups for different you know, right. demographics. You know, you got the, the young mothers and, and the retired folks and the young adults and the men's group that meets after the early mass. And, you know, everybody's kind of doing the same thing, praying together, sharing their story, supporting one another, making good friendships. But everybody's coming at it from a different set of uh, experiences. And, sure. You know, the experience of same-sex attraction, uh, you know, whether someone identifies themselves as, as gay, whether they tell people about it, you know, it can be a, a difficult thing to um, to be living with when you're not sure how another person is going to react. So mm-hmm. the whole point of courage is to be kind of a landing pad for people who maybe are coming back to the church <clears throat> after being away for a while. They're not sure kind of... Uh, you know, what kind of reception will I get? What, will I be welcomed? You know, will people assume things about me that aren't true? Will mm-hmm. they, you know, judge or critique? So, sure. yeah, so they come to courage and we can talk real, really honestly about what's going on. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's, it's really a, a program for discipleship that, that anybody can follow. Is encourage or courage, which one has more members? Cause uh, it depends on where I, you are. I could see yeah, them. Yeah. Depends on what city mm-hmm. or what part of the country. Um, encourage is growing a lot. These days, uh, because we're we're trying kind of on an experimental basis to um, to welcome uh, parents and loved ones of people who experience gender identity discordance, uh, mm-hmm. who would identify as, as trans. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the experience of, of gender identity discordance and same-sex attraction for the person who's going through it is rather different. But for family members, there's a lot of overlap. And so sure. um, so uh, some of our, our encourage groups are big enough to have kind of separate meetings for people whose loved one is uh, questioning gender identity. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that part of our apostolate's been growing. This year, uh, 2022, is um, either the... 30th or 35th anniversary of the formation of of encourage you know it kind of started with a kind of a uh, a phone chain in 1987 uh-huh. and then became official at our conference in 1992 so mm. uh yeah this year's conference we're going to focus on the goal that's common to courage and encourage which is to form a, a prayerful dedicated life so uh, we'll have speakers on uh, each part of that goal, so service to others, prayer, meditation, spiritual direction, spiritual reading, mm-hmm. mass confession. Um, we're gonna have a, our whole conference going to be kind of dedicated to to that. So that yeah. sounds great. So anybody who's got an interest in ministry or you know love somebody who loves somebody who's going through this experience is certainly welcome to to check it out. And I meant to do this at the beginning, but I just want to put out a parental disclaimer. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot of fathers listen with their sons, so you know obviously we're going to be talking about sexuality and. We'll adult adult yeah. topics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't think we're going to get certainly nothing R-rated, but uh, <laughs> if, it, you know, if we do a cool, right, <laughs> something drastically's gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the ship has left the harbor. Yeah. Or something. I don't know, but well, I just, just want to give a sure. you know a disclaimer. Also, just in order to quickly observe tradition, we are drinking coffee today. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe this is. Fresh ground, as fresh far ground. as anyone knows. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, the Minahans—they have like a. You should see this uh, m- machine they have downstairs. I mean, it's like <clears throat> does espresso, it grinds mm-hmm. the beans, does it does it everything? It, it it does the dishes. No, <laughs> no, no, it does it not. not do the dishes. Okay, so almost everything, not everything. So, Bishop, let me ask you: What are you hoping? So, for maybe some who who are listening and and thinking like, oh, it'd be great to have Father. Bochanski come out to my diocese. What are you hoping to to achieve having Father Bochanski out here at the diocese? Well, I think the courage and the Catholic Church in general has what has become now, by now, such a unique view regarding issues of human anthropology and human sexuality and holiness in life uh, that it's important for, especially for Catholics, for anyone, but especially for Catholics, to understand that what they see just in general on, on TV or in social media or whatever does not represent the only view. And in fact, it's kind of an extreme view, actually. It's not the view. And so for them to first understand what has God revealed to us about ourselves, and then let's start from that. And then we can talk about the rest of it, how to deal with uh, being in a culture that now has lost its way on so many of these issues. Yeah, it's interesting how quickly <clears throat> the, the uh, Catholic Church has been now only like this, the solo beacon of, of, this, of this topic. Like the only, we're the only one that taking a stance uh, compared to mm-hmm. we had a lot of other, other people on, on our side, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago. Um, and I think still do. It's just that it's... It's harder and becoming harder 36. to openly say, I'm not sure that that uh, the societal norm that's being portrayed is actually healthy or good. Okay, so when we get back, uh, I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit more about maybe inclusion, like how, like what the church teaches about sexuality, what the church teaches about 
people who experience same-sex attraction mm-hmm. and kind of pick up from there. Does that sound okay. good? Yeah, for sure. All right, we're here with uh, Bishop Condola and Father Bochansky. <clears throat> uh, we'll be right back. Okay, guys, March 2nd is Ash Wednesday. And that means over a billion people are going to start living different in some way, maybe giving up chocolate or alcohol or whatever. For a lot of Catholics, Lent is a time of finding the easiest way to give something up. But at the end of those 40 days, did that sacrifice really make a difference? This year, there's a new opportunity out there specifically for men that will actually help you grow closer to God and become a better man. You've heard me talk about Exodus 90 probably several times, but let me tell you about Exodus Lent. It's a 40-day journey that will challenge you to dig a little deeper. If your first reaction is, bro, I'm absolutely not taking cold showers. Well, then you're in luck, my friend. Men who take on the Exodus Lent get to take warm showers. They get to drink alcohol, and when you're with others, watch TV and sports. But don't be fooled. This will still be a challenging 40 days of preparation for living the Christian life for the rest of your life. Let me tell you how it works. First, over the 40 days of Lent, men commit to daily prayer, setting aside a minimum of 20 minutes to spend with the Lord. Each day includes a scripture reading and reflection written to help men better understand, grow in, and live virtue. Second, more than just giving up chocolate, men take up a range of disciplines and sacrifices for the season of Lent. Sweets, snacks, social media, all gone. Third, men commit to a fraternity of five to seven men. Each week, the fraternity meets to pray together, check in, hold each other accountable, and encourage one another. On Easter Sunday, you'll walk away with a new and lasting understanding of what it means to live the full Christian life. Chocolate bunnies and all. Sign up now at exoduslent.com slash TCMS, short for The Catholic Man Show. That's exoduslent.com slash TCMS. And welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We also have His Excellency Bishop David Condola and Father Philip Bochansky in studio with us today. Of course, we have the white chocolate porter, Jimbo Baggins, <laughs> and Juan Posada on the buttons. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Used his new name. <laughs> Jim got here, and I was like, Jim, we have a new name for you. <laughs> he said no. He immediately said no. Please do not. We were talking about him. He's like, yeah, he's kind of like the porter, you know, guarding the door. And then it's like, oh, he could be a chocolate porter, because that's a delicious beer. But then we're like, well... <laughs> that doesn't quite fit. <laughs> White chocolate porter it is. There you. Thanks for being here, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> On your last show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so Bishop, before um, before we were on, I was talking to one of the priests here in the diocese, and I asked them, like, what do you, like, y- you go around and you talk to a lot of, uh, 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 of men, and, like, what do you think, what do you keep hearing the perception of what they think the Catholic Church thinks of same-sex attraction. And he's, he told me, like, it was very hard for him to tell, like, he could tell us all about what the Church teaches, tell him all about, like, how we want, that everybody's supposed to be part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then what they hear is, the Church doesn't love them. Mm-hmm. Um, how, why is that wrong? 
Well, I think the reason that it happens is because it's a very subtle uh, set of distinctions that have to be made. And we don't have, just in our general education in the world today, we don't, we don't often have the tools to make those distinctions, and so people don't hear them. They just don't hear them. And what they hear is that the Catholic approach to issues of same-sex attraction is reserved compared to the society, what is considered the societal norm, and that's all they hear. Oh, you don't like it, which doesn't represent the, the church's position, but they don't hear it. Right. Yeah. So, again, that's the reason for courage, and one of the things I love about courage is the website with so many resources. And so, you know, when I was in campus ministry and we were sitting an hour and a half in the confessional every day, and so with some regularity I was recommending to people to go and look on the website here because there's no way I can tell you in the short period of time that we have here very much, but you can find a world of resources there that are very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, from a, from a pastoral point of view, before you tell anybody anything, you've got to ask them to share their story with you, right? And uh, I remember a conversation I had with somebody one time, and he was like, well, I'm kind of conflicted because I know what the church teaches, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. in a relationship now. And so you know, I said, well, tell me about your boyfriend, right? And he kind of like flinched because I think he, he thought I was going to start reading the catechism to him and tell him, yeah, I'm going to knock this <laughs> off. But you didn't expect a priest to ask him about his boyfriend. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, you can you can treat a person like a person with a heart and a, and a soul <clears throat> and a story yeah. without giving the impression that you're condoning, you know, a sinful decision. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, tell me your story. Let me know who you are. Um, this is the road to Emmaus. Right. You guys seem really upset. What's going on? You know, and you shouldn't be a, you know afraid of a defensive reaction, right? Clopas mm-hmm. gave it to Jesus, like, are you serious? You're the only person who doesn't know why we might be upset, uh-huh. right? But Jesus, he sticks with them, right? Now tell me, tell me what's going on. And then when he listens to their story, then he basically tells them the rest of the story. Like, mm-hmm. guys, there's some things that you forgot that he said to you. Like, let's let's talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other, I think the other gospel story that comes to mind is the rich young man. Right. He went away sad that day. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say he stayed away. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, there, there's room to say maybe he thought about it. You know, that kind of radical invitation that Jesus offered him to yeah. you know, radical mm-hmm. poverty. You know, because he started from a place of, of enthusiasm. The gospel says he ran up to Jesus and said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. It's like, yeah, I, I did that. But I've been doing that since I was a little kid. Like, what's my path? <clears throat> right. And Jesus gives him this tough thing to do, and he walks away. But maybe he came back after a couple weeks or months. Maybe he had a friend who said, you know, he went home and said, uh, you, you never believe what the rabbi told me. You know, well, what, what did he say? Well, he says, I, if I want to be holy, I have to give all my money away. So, well, he's not wrong. You know, like this is an attachment that's keeping you from right. God, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think that the rich young man is the evangelist, St. Mark. Um, mm. Because uh, oh, Saint Mark. Uh huh. Okay, I was thinking maybe he was Saint Luke. Well, because when Mark tells the story, as he often does, he has a line that Matthew and Luke don't use when they tell the same story. Mark says that before Jesus gave him that second part of the conversation, that radical invitation, Jesus, looking at him, loved him mm-hmm. and said, "If you wish to be perfect, you know." 
Um, so when people know that you see them, that you know them, you're striving to understand that things from their perspective, as Pope Francis says, accompanying people starting from their situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a much different starting point than, you know, being somebody over the head with the catechism, right? Sure. You're getting to the same place, sharing the truth, telling the rest of the story. And, you know, that guy, he, he still walked away. And Jesus, you notice Jesus didn't chase him, right? right? But if he walked away with that knowledge, man, this, this, this rabbi, he loves me. He, he sees me. He knows me. Mm-hmm. Then hopefully that was a fertile ground, in, you know, for that seed to fall and, you know, and eventually uh, bear fruit, you know, if he gave it the time. So we shouldn't be afraid in an initial conversation if somebody reacts defensively or just walks away or calls us haters or whatever. You know, if they if the main thing that we're we're going for in that first conversation is to help them feel seen and known and loved, mm-hmm. well, then God will do the rest. And I think that's a such an important uh, good, such an important tool of the website is that it gives people a passive way because often people are they're not sure they want to engage with mm-hmm. somebody in learning what the church right believes or teaches. But on the website, they have a passive way to be able to see themselves, read various things. There's videos on their testimonials and various things. And learn something first, and then that maybe will encourage them to, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) encourage them to uh, come to the next step and talk to someone. Right. And hopefully the person they talk to (laughs) doesn't blow the whole thing up (laughs) by... You know, coming at them with all kinds of anxiety and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's one more challenge that, <clears throat> whether it's the media or the culture, you know, kind of everything has also confused people or convinced people to associate their identity with their attraction, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And so that those two things they have wound them and twisted them kind of into the same thing. And so it's when the Catholic Church says we, you know, oh, this behavior is wrong. Mm-hmm then they interpret that as, oh, the Catholic Church thinks that I am bad, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and you can't have a, a conversation in which you say, I, I love you very much. I think you're making a bad choice here. Right. And, and that's certainly not, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a symptom of our modern culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we need affirmation, but mm-hmm. we seek approval, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, affirmation says, I see you, and it's good that you exist, and I, I like you. I want to get to know you. Mm-hmm. Approval says, you're doing something that I think is good or valuable or enough, and so I'm going to give you a little, you know, verbal, you know, attaboy so that, you know, but it's about what you do rather than who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think we're we're in a world that's like we're hyper-connected, so everybody's checking their likes and follows on social media. But at the same time, we're, we're hyper-atomized, right? Like nobody right. actually talks to anybody, right? right? You carry a machine in your pocket where you can literally talk to anybody on the planet in a couple of seconds. But, you know, God help you if it actually rings. Like, you don't want to answer it, right? You know, text me and make sure that I'm ready to receive your call, right? Um, yeah, so we just don't know how to be in relationship anymore. And, and, so we, we, and so when you have a friend that can really affirm you, rather than just kind of dole out approval when, when they think that you've lived up to their standards. Well, that's water in the desert. You mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. So that's what God offers us. Is, is after, God doesn't need us for anything, but he really likes us, right? So much so mm-hmm. that he locks himself in a little box so that we always know where to find him. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just, he just, he wants us 
to affirm what's good and then let that be a reason that people want to be better and better. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Adam and I, we recently saw an article in USA Today, and I think that the article was deeply flawed in many ways, but it was reporting on some uh, survey statistics of about uh, specific, specifically millennials and then Gen Z. Is that the people younger mm-hmm. than? I think that's mm-hmm. like at least the, sec- the youngest half of <clears throat> millennials or whatever it is. About no, Gen Z people think millennials are old folks. Okay, yeah. that's what I think too. I mean, <laughs> good. I'm finally an old guy. I'm ready. To, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to like be a little bit old, yeah. not too much, but a little bit. Uh, but they were saying how like up to forty percent, and I do not believe these statistics, but this is this is what they said: forty percent of these Gen Z respondents identified as LGBT. LGBTQ. TQ. Because uh, the, the large percentage of that percentage uh, would report uh, that they are queer or questioning or you know agender, or bigender, or asexual, bisexual, or somewhere on a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a symptom of our culture that that you know there's there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questioning, a lot of confusion. Um, and so if we're going to to uh, to talk to young people about what the church teaches, we have to start with that recognition is that they're not really settled, but labels and uh, groups and, mm-hmm. and, and categories, you know, mm-hmm. are kind of reassuring when you're, when you're, you know, a teen or a young adult and feeling a little disconnected. Oh, this is why maybe I feel disconnected. Here's my tribe. Here's my community. Right. Um, I mean, that's shown itself in the last couple of years, how deeply we need community and, we need to yeah. lead them from a community that may not be helpful or healthy for them to a community like the church, which is very mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do. The, our identity is, I mean, everybody wants to know who they are. Ultimately, we need to know that we're loved. So I want to talk about that a little bit more on the other side of the break. We're here with Father Philip Bochanski, His Excellency, Bishop David Condorla. We're talking about who is man. We'll be right back. Hey guys, David Niles here. For those of you who don't know, for my day job, I'm a financial advisor, so I know firsthand how difficult investing can be. That's why I was so excited when we met Mark Lozano, founder and owner of Christ-Centered Capital. Mark's mission is to provide in-depth research and analysis on which companies and organizations align with Christian values and which ones don't. Of course, he's also seeking to provide investment recommendations and stock picks that have financial potential and are also aligned with Christian values. What I really love about what Mark is doing is that he's completely transparent about why a company might be a moral investment versus another one. He leaves it up to you so that you can make informed decisions. He's not just going to say, oh, this one's moral, this one's not. He'll give all of the reasons in the research that he's done with links to articles or whatever it may be, so that you can make the most informed decisions on your own investment portfolios. Because as Catholics, we have a duty to uphold Catholic values, and the same goes with our investments. So we want to be as virtuous as we can be, and Christ-centered capital is really invaluable. It's only $7 a month for you to go and sign up to get all of his recommendations and all of his research. To me, it's a no-brainer. If you're an investor and you want more information, go to ChristCenteredCapital.com, and make sure to use promo code TCMS. 2022 for one month of free access, no obligation. That's TCMS, The Catholic Man Show, TCMS 2022. Welcome back to The Catholic Man Show. We are talking with Bishop David Condola and Father Philip Ochansky. Um, 
talking about same-sex attraction, talking about who is man, talking about Jesus. This is what we try to do on the show, is talk about Jesus. Cheers, Jesus. Yeah, cheers I, Jesus. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious on what your guys' thoughts are here. So we hear a lot that the Catholic Church doesn't uh, do anything for people who <clears throat> experience same-sex attraction, right? That we have dropped the ball and we've kind of left them maybe stranded, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I want to... I want to push back on that just a little bit and then see what and see what your guys' thoughts are. So the USCCB like come or the CD CDF comes no, yeah, CDF comes out in 1986 with a document on on same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, since 1986, I think there have been seven or nine different letters or not paper bulls, but I don't know what I don't remember what all the exhortations or, mm-hmm. you know, decrees or what mm-hmm. whatever the levels of authority are. Documents of documents some kind. of some sort. On same-sex attraction, are the people who saying are saying that we aren't doing anything for them? Are is it because they don't like what we're actually saying, or is it because is it a lack of implementation of what the church has done, or is it something totally different? I think it's a little bit of both, depending on who you're talking to. I mean, uh, yeah, in 1986, um, that letter just fell on a lot of deaf ears you know people it's a beautiful letter i mean it, it's a oh, wonderful yeah. letter for sure it's mm-hmm. and uh, it, it covers quite a few um uh, angles on the question especially just encouraging uh the kind of pastoral approach that really helps somebody um but you know people who had already decided that you know the church is wrong mm-hmm. on the question of you know what is essential for you know marriage and and sexual intimacy to be good right our complementarity and, and ability to be procreative are they are they necessary or not um and who decided you know <clears throat> love is love and it doesn't matter you know how you are intimate and, and those kind of things they're not going to not going to receive what the church has to say mm-hmm. um and unfortunately you know the the flip side of that is that there's not a lot of very um clear um, defense of that uh, from people that have a platform to do so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's like, well, you know, go go read the letter and, and you'll understand what the church is. Yeah, but Father so-and-so or Sister so-and-so or this group or that website says this, but nobody's saying that they're wrong, you know, then, then uh, people, and that's the definition of causing scandal, right? Leading right. people who are not really looking on the Vatican website for for curial documents right. to question: Does the church still believe this? Does it, is it mm-hmm. still important? You know, is it really an open question? Can it change? And um, you know, that's one of the things that that I've prioritized in the last few years is just trying to uh, create as much of a platform. And that's why I'm glad to always be on with you guys. Uh, you know, to, to to be able to address this and say, yeah, this is what the church teaches. This is where the church is coming from. This is why it's important. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure as a bishop, you know, this is a big part of, of your ministry and what you, ha- what you do. Yeah, and I, you know, when you consider the fact that so few children attend Catholic schools uh, in the same, all the way up through, you know, all the way up through university. Uh, and so when you consider the formation that's happening just from the culture at Catholic people, and then the church's comparative inroad uh, to helping and teaching people. There's a real imbalance there. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult for the church to be able to counter what people are simply hearing 
from the time they're now in elementary school, sadly. Um, and so then it leaves people wondering. If the church is constantly talking about it, you know, if a pastor of a parish, for example, is constantly talking about it, that can have a negative effect as well. So there has to be a certain balance with regards to it. How do you think that we could do a better job then? You know, I, I want to like kind of disprove this notion or like I, I, I'd like to at least, if it is true, then I want to rectify, you know, I want to I I do the right thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so how do you think we could... Well, do better. I, I think first we, we have to create a, 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 a culture, a, a, an availability in the, in the church, in our parishes, uh, where people who are living with this experience of same-sex attraction and striving to live chaste lives can tell their story. You know, there's certainly a huge platform for people uh, with those attractions who are not living the church's teaching, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, to create atmosphere where it's safe and, and, and there's trust and respect and people can say, Hey, I, I used to live one way. Now I'm trying something else. And, and it's, it's really helping me. You know, I'm thinking of a courage member who, who told me one time, uh, all throughout his adolescence and young adult years, um, everybody in his life, including the clergy that he knew, were saying, well, this is how God made you. This is who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't be promiscuous, like get a boyfriend and settle down. But, uh, but this is what, you know, this is your natural situation. Mm-hmm. This is what God wants. And he said, you know, for a while that was very reassuring. He said, but then he got to the point where he realized like he wasn't happy, you mm-hmm. know, in the hookup culture. He wasn't happy even with, with a guy because <clears throat> he realized, you know, this is not going anywhere in terms of, being able to be a father, you know, those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. and he said, then it really hit him. Like, you know, because everybody had said, well, this is what God wants and everything's okay. Um, and he, then he found himself unhappy that it was a hundred times worse because he thought, well, how bad at life must I be to not be able to be happy mm-hmm. doing what God made me to do. Mm-hmm. And so when he encountered like the authentic teaching of the church that says, you know, our desires are, are, they are what they are, but they're also affected by the original sin. They're affected by the culture. You don't judge a desire just based on how strong it is or how natural it feels. And he started to realize, oh, I'm not happy because I was not meant to find my happiness here, but God does have a plan for me mm-hmm. that involves spiritual fatherhood and chase friendship, et cetera. That was liberation for him, right? Mm-hmm. It was, he didn't experience it as oppressive, right? Now, different people you know come to that point at different mm-hmm. times in different ways um not one person's story is not everybody's story but you can't argue that it's not his story right yeah. right and so i think if we can uh create a, an atmosphere where people are 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 willing to share their story and we help people to really listen and hear it in that way mm-hmm. that goes an awful long way um i wouldn't recommend that priests always preach on this topic or mm-hmm. even preach a whole sermon on this topic um, but what they can preach about is here's God's original plan. Here's how we're created. Here's you know uh, what God made us for to be in loving relationships in which we give ourselves away. Here's how that sanctifies the body and the soul. How that leads to us understanding what marriage is about. Here's the plan. At how beautiful it is, right? Pope Francis called uh, the complementarity of the sexes not just a valuable asset, but a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. And then you can talk about all the things that the church has to judge as sinful: adultery, fornication, pornography, masturbation, contraception, and same-sex intimacy. They're all wrong for the same reason, because mm-hmm. some part, some essential part of that beautiful plan is excluded deliberately, yeah. right? And 
so what what happens then? Well, people see they see the positive, they see the plan. It's something for everybody to strive for, whatever their their attractions, desires, habits, whatever. Um, and they also see, oh, the church isn't condemning my desire to love and be loved. It's saying, you know, this is one thing, but here's what you're made for. Mm-hmm. Don't settle for something less than than what God has created you to strive for, and, and the reasons behind marriage and family and sexual intimacy. And I think connected to the mission of the church and also a way for the church and even at the parish level to be able to address the issue is to be teaching chastity itself because this is really what all of it is. And when we think about the relatively small number of people who deal with uh, experiences of same-sex attraction compared to everyone, uh, think of, you know, is there any television show or program or sitcom or whatever that would be, series, uh, movies, anything made that doesn't just assume that sex is simply available for anybody and everybody in whatever way. And so, again, going back to the formation of our people, um, they're being surrounded by this, bombarded by this, but I think that there's a sense, certainly for anyone who experiences it, they often come to a sense that this is not working. Uh, I'm supposed to be happy. I've had several partners in the last year, and I'm not happy. Man or woman, same sex or not, this is not working. Chastity mm-hmm. is the path that leads to authentic human fulfillment and authentic friendship. That's what makes people happy. Knowing that I'm loved, knowing that I can love, but love in a way that is true and authentic. Yeah, I, I do think that one thing that would just be out, you know, hugely beneficial is if we had more uh, personal witnesses, personal personal testimony from someone who does experience same-sex attraction, right? That they say, hey, I, you know, like, this is me. I'm striving to live a holy life. But I can empathize why someone might be hesitant to come out, you know, and say that just because, well, uh, what are other people going to think of me? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, are they going to like? Are they going to be okay with me being around their children? You know what I mean? Like all this is is pretty ridiculous because mm-hmm. of what what you know you're saying. Okay, all right. So your sexual attractions are disordered. So are mine. So are like every other person on the entire planet. Like if in the Garden of Eden, I suspect we would only experience this erotic sexual desire for your spouse. Mm-hmm. Like properly ordered, you would desire your your wedded spouse in that way, and you wouldn't desire that for any other person, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who who can actually say that, right? That so, like, we're all a little bit disordered, and we all are struggling to you know become holy through this process. So, if you think about it that way, we're all similar. Yeah, Pope Pius the Twelfth said in uh, the fifties, I think, that the biggest. Uh, problem in the world today is that we've lost the sense of sin mm-hmm. right and the devil still he's, he, he uses the oldest trick in the book mm-hmm. it still works, mm-hmm. right <laughs> i mean it's like if you think about i know it seems like this must be a big burden but to me it's like okay the fact that you're attracted to people of the same sex is really the least interesting thing about you mm-hmm. like i i couldn't care less i at, might put a little more generally than that but yeah. <laughs> i mean it was like i you know it's like okay great well do you like football you know <laughs> Anyway, okay, we'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to go to Ireland and tour County Cork or have a beer in Dublin or see the Cliffs of Moher? 
Well, we are partnering up with Select International Tours, and we are planning a, a Ireland pilgrimage this year. Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow, and we will keep you posted on everything that's going on. Uh, Ireland is one of the places that you are able to travel to, whether you have a vaccine, whether you don't have a vaccine. Uh, there's no quarantine. All you have to do is have a negative test within a couple days. So anyway, we're, tra- we're, we're planning a trip to Ireland. We would love to have you there. Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow. And let's have a beer together and cheers to Jesus in Ireland. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, Bishop Condola, and Father Bochanski. We're talking about courage, encourage, what it means to be a human person. In heaven, will we still experience a tr- like sexual attraction to the opposite sex? I wouldn't think so. Not in the way we do here. Yeah, not in the way we do here. Yeah. I think we will appreciate the the deep beauty of of every person, right? But I mean, the Lord says, you know, in the kingdom to come, that people aren't married; they're not given in marriage, right? Mm-hmm. They don't marry, and so attraction in the sense of I'm choosing my spouse, it's drawing me to mm-hmm. uh, to spousal intimacy, doesn't have a place uh, in heaven, right? Um, but I think the deep beauty of every person will be apparent the attractiveness mm-hmm. of a per- and right. you know i think sometimes that's that's where we get into trouble with attraction in, in this world is we stop at the surface right? right um and just focus on on the body and and not mm-hmm. on the whole person right? right um oftentimes when i'm talking to uh to people who experience attraction especially young men uh who experience same-sex attractions um you know that my encouragement is for them to to go a little deeper, which can be a scary thing because well, suppose he realizes that I, I think he's good looking, you know. Well, yeah, but there's more to the person than that. So to to form a real friendship, mm-hmm. um, you know, can can really purify and 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 draw a person not not just away from like running away from uh, physical attraction, but to mm-hmm. draw you deeper into a knowledge of of the person, right? Because because. Eros, that desire to be intimate with somebody, and friendship are they're different kinds of love. Mm-hmm. But I think the world tells us that friendship is just a consolation prize, right? Like any right. any strong feeling must be a sexual feeling, and the only real relationships are sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's that's always been the devil's strategy. Mm-hmm. I was saying before, like the, mm-hmm. the oldest trick in the book, right? Genesis chapter three. The, they're in paradise, surrounded by every gift that God is offering them. And the devil can't offer anything good as an alternative. All he can do is get them to focus on the one thing that for now is off limits. And because they're so focused on that, the thing that they don't have, everything that they do have fades away. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. people say, well, the church is condemning people who experience same-sex attraction to a life without love. That's just because you have a pretty poor understanding of what love is, right? And so, yeah, is the church saying don't have sexual relations with anybody who's not your spouse of the opposite sex and your relations are open to having children? Yeah, for very good reasons. Right. (laughs) Does that mean that everybody who's not married is miserable? Obviously not, Mm -hmm. right? But if you if you think that's the only way to be happy, the only way to be fulfilled, and you forget about friendship and mm-hmm. and charity and affection and all those other forms of, of love and intimacy, mm-hmm. well then, 
he's playing you, right? The devil, like it's, mm-hmm. he's he's the father of every sin, including laziness, and he still uses that trick because it still works. Still works, and he's not going to come up with something different, you know. So, you were saying before about, uh, you know, how how it seems like the Catholic Church is the only one still holding the line on this, and I think that's true, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Catholics and, and Orthodox. You know, we we still believe that the the original sin is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Chesterton called it a fact as practical as potatoes, right? <laughs> that we're not in the garden anymore, you know. And when you forget that and think, well, what I feel is how God made me and what God wants, mm-hmm. well, yeah, then love is love and do what feels right. Mm-hmm. You know? But if you're saying, well, you know, God gave me my emotions for good reasons, but the original sin and cultural sin and my own history distorts that sometimes so chastity means integrating my feelings Mm -hmm. into the big picture of who i am not just you know judging them based on how strong they are but judging based on who i am and whether following this feeling is going to lead to my fulfilling my vocation um you know yes it involves some some self-sacrifice sometimes radical Mm self-sacrifice but it eventually it leads to freedom and happiness i mean and and you know, I think it works precisely the same way in opposite-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. If you have a man and a woman whose relationship is primarily based on their sexual attraction to each other, and they don't somehow find a way to go past that and deeper than that mm-hmm. and understand that they really have to be friends, which requires a choice and a sacrifice, then the relationship is going to be doomed. It's not going to go anywhere. Because the physical uh, attraction is going to fade away at some point. Yeah. Gravity, We're not made for that. Gravity, thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like that the strategy should be, instead of this idea of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, more of you are called to a greatness. You are called mm-hmm. to a high, you know, to, to life of virtue, and mm-hmm. you won't be satisfied mm-hmm. until you are living the virtuous life. Yeah, mm-hmm. with magnanimity. You're, you're, you're right. and Joseph Pieper, right? That's right. You know, he says that, um, you know, when we don't have that greatness of soul, then we, we stay away from the greatness that we're called to because we realize it comes with, uh, with obligations, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know about when you were in the seminary, but, you know, if, you know, at 17, if I was thinking of celibacy as, you know, never experiencing anything exciting for the rest of my life for 70 or 80 years, mm-hmm. well, no, I wouldn't have done that, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, any, in any vocation, it's, all right, what is the Lord asking me to do today, mm-hmm. right? So we were talking about people who experience same-sex attractions sharing their stories. I think we've got to also create places for, uh, for married people, for celibate and consecrated people, for people living a uh, single life in the world to also tell our stories where, uh, where we can speak not just of the, the, the challenges, but the joys. Right? Mm-hmm. When, I, when I talk, you've heard me say this to your priest here in Tulsa. You know, I talked to priests, I said the, the worst advertisement for the church's teaching about chastity is a grouchy celibate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, because you look, you have to live this way. Well, that's too hard. But it's the same thing I'm doing. Yes, Father, but you're miserable. Like, why, would, <laughs> why would I want to be like you? Right? But if we can, if we, if no matter what our, our vocation, our state in life, if we can talk cheerfully and and with with love and and gratitude about you mm-hmm. know the freedom that we find in each of our vocations then that encourages other people to do the same thing mm-hmm. yeah i think it's so important that we get that message across that the church needs you mm-hmm. right that it's like oh it's not just oh you're being sorry you have to resign yourself to this lonely life but no 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 you have a vocation that was given to you by god mm-hmm. and actually you have a job to do here mm-hmm. and like we need you here to do it mm-hmm. uh, because if you don't no one will do that job 
mm-hmm. right? And like your vocation, it's not about, oh, like, are you going to be lonely? Your vocation is, is a calling to friendship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Whether you're m- married or not married, that is a, your you know, God-given avenue to come to know Him better. It's not about the relationship you have with your wife. It's about coming together to get to know Christ more, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what life is about. I mean, all friendship is just a practice run for friendship with Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, like, good. that's, he's the, if you think having a wife is going to fulfill you or having a husband is going to fulfill you, then you're wrong. Mm-hmm. It won't. Only Jesus will. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if like, that's the message, I think we got to like, obviously for someone who's outside of the church, it might be hard to buy into. So like, like what, how can we, what, what can we do to encourage that? Mm-hmm. I've often, I've often thought that uh, married couples should also share the times when they've been lonely. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because uh, that would help, too, because the the societal assumption is that I have to have sex to avoid loneliness, and uh, married couples, though, I think sometimes experience the more profound loneliness when the very person that you love is sitting right there in the same room with you, but you can't talk to each other because mm-hmm. right now you're having some uh, difficulty that's got to be a more extreme kind of feeling of loneliness, which is what loneliness mm-hmm. is, an inability to communicate myself to another. But celibates sometimes feel alone and sometimes feel lonely. But so do married people, so do everybody. Sure. So the way to, to get around that is this authentic friendship that chastity allows us to have. I'm probably the, the first person to mention Kurt Vonnegut on the Catholic Man Show because he's not known as a great mm. theologian, but... <laughs> Uh, he said in a number of, of speeches that he gave, when a man and a woman get divorced, what they're saying to each other is, you are not enough people for me. Mm. Right? And I think it's so true, mm. no matter what our vocation, without a community and without friendship and without um, you know, people that, that we just are charitable to who can't repay us, right? for those words from the Lord himself, right? Um, without uh, you know, many people that we can share our life with, we're not going to be fulfilled. Like marriage is a very specific, particular, exclusive relationship, and mm-hmm. and the foundation of the family. Mm. Um, but we have to. We can't take our eye off of all the different forms of love and all the relationships that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so, for living chastity, it helps us to keep those relationships in proper order, proper perspective, and to live them each authentically. And then, I love what you said about. I'm stealing that about you know friendship with others is practice for friendship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and each relationship informs the other if all of them are integrated and centered in Christ. Mm-hmm. And chastity helps us to learn about an essential part of ourself, which is related in that relationship with Jesus, that we won't learn without it. If we're not living chastity, we're not going to be able to learn that essential part of ourself, which is I can be chaste because I want to love Jesus, I want to be in relationship with the Lord, and so I'm going to relate to these other people in a chaste manner because of the love I have for him, and then in that chaste friendship, I learn, oh, this is pretty cool. I like this. This is better than all the drama that I was experiencing before right. when I was hopping from bed to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really, like, in the relationship and the life with Christ, uh, the single life presents a lot of advantages that the married life does not have. I mean, single you know, and celibate men saved a lot of money this past Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I mean, and but they're more also more available to evangelize. Amen. I mean, St. Paul, he says, you know, like, hey, you know, if, busy with the Lord's affairs. Right, exactly. Pleasing the Lord. That's right. So, I mean, 
there really is there really is a truth to that. Um, in God, you know, He calls each one of us to our own life. God's either omniscient and omnipotent, or in, and infinitely loving, or He's not. Right. And if He is, then we got nothing to fear by following His lead on finding and living our vocation. Mm-hmm. He's not going to call if if you're trying to serve the Lord and it's making you miserable, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So, uh, hold up. We're, we're running out of time on the radio. If you're listening right now, check out the podcast. Go to thecatholicmantra.com or you can check out our YouTube page. We're here with uh, Bishop David Conderla and Father Philip Rochansky. We'll continue this conversation for a few more minutes on the podcast. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Cheers. Cheers to Jesus. Yeah, what was Benedict's line was uh, God will never take anything from you, or what was it? I don't know. I mean, uh, Pope Benedict said something to young people on the lines of, give everything to Christ. He will never take anything from you that you really need, and he will give you everything. Nice. So never be afraid to give anything to the Lord, because mm-hmm. he will never take anything from you that mm-hmm. you must have, and he will give you everything. Something like that. So uh, I'm, I'm curious on getting uh, your guys' take on this really fast. We uh, Before the show, I reached out to a couple of uh, my dear friends who, who uh, some we met through, through the Courage Conference and mm-hmm. um, who also support the show. And so we asked, I asked them, I said, hey, what's going on in the Courage world? What's going on in, in your life? You know, how, you know, what would you like us to talk about, you know, um, to, to relate to them? And so they, they, had, they, they said two things. They said, one, they, they said, you know, Courage does a great job of going in, in encouraging people to go to confession to go to holy mass and to have good friends around you mm-hmm. just like everybody <laughs> you know right and then they also said that before they they met christ they didn't they actually did not have like this feeling of sense of emptiness because they didn't know what they were actually made for so at least they, not not in like, their experience in, in their experience mean, right so they, yeah. they just, once again that's their story yeah right. that's their story is this they, they didn't feel like they were hitting rock bottom or mm-hmm. they didn't feel like um, that I, they were called to something greater. And they were like, I'm, hey, I'm just living my life. Like everybody, everybody's telling me I'm okay doing what I'm doing and mm-hmm. um, living my life. And uh, they didn't know that they had a call, you know, yep. this call to greatness. So mm-hmm. maybe we can uh, touch on how courage uh, helps both of those aspects and, and maybe just what your guys' thoughts are on it. Yeah, there's... Um one of our members has given his testimony on a, a, a series of videos that we produced, and he says something similar. He said, I was ha- I was as happy as I knew how to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. he said, but it, you know, looking back, it was like a cocktail party happy. You know, it was it was mm-hmm. exciting, it was fun. Um, he said, but it wasn't until he you know kind of heard what he's made for and and what the Lord has in mind for him, and that you know it's not just life in this world, but life forever in the next. You know, he said that's a that's a deep, much deeper happiness, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's hard to, you can't present that theoretically. Right? Mm-hmm. People have to give it a shot. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, I think, I think, you know, what you, what helps people to get to that place is just seeing other people doing it. I, I remember, um, long before I was involved with courage, just as a, a young priest in my second assignment, a uh, young woman came in, uh, to join the RCIA. And I said, well, why do you want to be Catholic? And she got all tearing, teared up. And you know, she said, my, well, my boyfriend's mother, and who's now her mother-in-law for many years, 
um, she said she's been through so much and she's suffered a lot. And she said, but she's always got this peace about her and this strength. She said, and I just know that that comes from her faith and from mm. being Catholic. She said, you know, I've suffered too, and I need I need what she's got, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's mm. you know that's uh, wisdom right yeah. there. Yeah, the third goal of of courage is to create an atmosphere where everyone can speak from their experience, right? And uh, and part of that's to keep us honest and accountable, and part of it is just to be an invitation, you know, like. Hey, I've tried this and, and it worked and I've been where you are and I can't tell you how to live your life and I can't tell you the exact way to get there, but it's worth striving for. Mm-hmm. What does he know that I don't know? What is he experiencing that, that I want to experience? Because there's th- this is why we don't have to worry when the world uh, seems to reject what we have to say, because the truth is attractive, right? Mm-hmm. All by itself. Mm-hmm. And and it's always you know, what, what's the what's the expression? You know, each generation is converted by the saints that contradict it the most, mm. right? Um, and whether that's through martyrdom or whether it's just that kind of patient, cheerful, joyful witness, like somebody like Mother Teresa or, or St. John Paul II, you know, the world looks and like, they're saying, wait, you're doing the opposite of what we're doing and you seem happier than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that? I mm-hmm. want that. And mm-hmm. even if they're not ready to come right, come right out and say it, it's, it's attractive. Sure. We have a... So the question is, for somebody who is struggling with same-sex attraction, the difference between praying for s- strength to carry the cross or pray for the cross to be taken away, mm-hmm. mm. where is that, that line drawn? Well, I think I, I wouldn't start with praying for either of those things. I would pray for a deeper relationship with God. Right mm-hmm. to to develop an intimacy with God that leads to trust. Right to that I faith helps me to know who God is and and you know charity means I can receive God's love but but hope means I trust Him and even if I can't see the plan I'm gonna I'm gonna trust His time I'm gonna trust His His expertise. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the problem with praying like Lord just take this away from me with anything, whether it's same-sex attraction or mm-hmm. uh, resentment or... Say like a thorn other. in the flesh, for right. instance. Right. I mean, we do have... We have <laughs> fair enough. Right? We do have St. Paul's like testimony on this, right? And, and But why? Well, you know, nothing... We're compl- complex people, right? Body and soul and and uh, history of relationships and what we've heard and and what we've been through and you know that stuff if you just kind of picture that kind of growing in layers and you know i often think of that the the parable the weeds and the wheat you know where the weeds and the wheat look so similar and their roots are kind of tangled up that you know the the farmer says you don't pull them up now because you'll pull up the 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 wheat as well you know some of the 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 things that are kind of you know part of that experience or maybe in one way or another seem to kind of uh, lead to in some ways to that experiencing those things they're so tied up with family relationships or my sense of myself or you know or questions that I've had or, or fears that I've had or ways I've learned to cope or to live like to just kind of rip that out would tear our hearts apart mm-hmm. right um, we want it gone right no matter what the the, the, the temptation or the, or the trial is um, but you know we have to learn to trust the Lord who says some wounds are only going to be healed in the resurrection, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some things take a long time to untangle. So trust me, I'm going to be gentle with you. I'm going to do this step by step, but I can't just, you know, take it away all at once. Um, 
you know, and I think the more that we know how much we're loved by God and the more we receive God's affirmation and the more that we realize, you know, you know, I sit before the tabernacle and I keep falling asleep or I keep getting distracted or I just don't want to be here or, you know, my back is killing me or, or I'm away from, you know, and I look up at the tabernacle and, oh shoot, he didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Like <laughs> he loves me full stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Not in spite of my sins. Right. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important things to, to get across to people is, you know, God is omniscient. Right. Which is why he's merciful. Mm-hmm. You know, I see my sins and I get really ashamed and annoyed at myself or, you know, somebody offends me and all I see is the thing that they've done. God sees every moment back to the moment, you know, back to my time in the womb, you know, that has something to do with how I think about the world or what my body does or, mm-hmm. or, or anything. You know, he sees the whole thing. He sees my weakness and my strength. He sees my challenges and how hard I strive. And that's why he's patient and merciful. Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, God loves you because he knows you, mm-hmm. not because you're fooling him. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we, we, we think that a lot of people that in our lives that love us, you know, well, if they knew the real me, they, they wouldn't love me or they reject me. Right. You can't fool God. Mm-hmm. And he knows the real you. And he just loves you. And sooner mm-hmm. or later, you've got to deal with that. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, when we when we can accept that. Well, then, you know, we know that God is patient with us, that he's going to he's going to heal us in various ways in his own time. And, and then we we trust trust the process. <laughs> yeah, it's right. we Trust his timing. Yeah, I think that relationship, the intimacy of, of the relationship you're describing allows a person to ask God the question to ask God, would you take this away from me? This is very hard for me. Would you take this away? in the manner that lets God be God. So one way to ask that question is, God, I'm going to use you. You're the bubblegum vendor in the sky. I need you to do something for me. The divine CVS. And and take this away. The other is, I know you love me. I know you know me. I still nonetheless experience this as being very hard. I wish you would take it away from me, but you are God. And so I've... I've told you, and so now you do whatever you think is best for me, and I will love you no matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it's fine to, to say, Lord, please take this away, but then we're asking it in a different way and of someone that we know in a different way. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an old Russian story about a, a, a peasant woman who, she's on her way to church, and she meets some friends, and they say, Where are you, what, what are you doing? She says, I'm going to church because my leg is killing me and I'm asking going to ask God to to take the pain away. And they say, "Well, no, you can't do that because maybe God wants you to suffer this for your sins or for somebody else." Or she's, "Okay." And then she turns around, she starts going home and then she sees some other friends who say, well, "Where are you going?" She says, "Well, I was going to go to church and and pray about my leg, but my these people told me not to." And so her friends say, "Well, you have to because if you don't, then you don't trust God, and and you you know it's a heresy to say that God wants anybody to suffer." <laughs> and so you know she's just so confused. So she turns around one more time. She goes back to church and she just walks up to the sanctuary, and she sticks her leg out. And she says, "Lord, my leg, Amen." And goes home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and that's a great act of trust, Lord. As you say, Bishop, like you know what I need, you know where I'm hurting, and you. It's, it's on you. I trust you. However yeah. you want to handle this, I trust you. Yeah, it's so often I think it's, uh, we have to learn to 
present these things in such a way that's like, hey, Lord, I was just talking about this last night about uh, one of our friends, they had a, a son who is likely going to be blind and deaf. Mm. And um, we were talking about, well, oh, should I pray? You know, like, I one of, mm-hmm. one of this other people was saying, oh, I pray for him to at least get a little bit of sight mm-hmm. or a little bit of hearing. And I was like, well, you should pray that he gets all of his sight and all of his hearing, mm-hmm. but know that, you know, like also have the resignation that maybe that's not what God's perfect will is, you mm-hmm. know? So I think so often in our lives, these crosses that we want to be taken away, we want taken away, God transforms them. And then some point in our life, we realize that cross that I was carrying now, it's a sickle. Mm-hmm. And I am harvesting big time with it. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have it, you know, the souls that I wouldn't be winning for Christ, mm-hmm. you know, and like that becomes one of our biggest weapons we can use against Satan is yeah. this, what we thought was a cross turns out to be this amazing, uh, you know, sword that we that we end up wielding. Yeah, the the, the beautiful paradox of faith, you know, mm-hmm. which you know, I think in this case means you know having a child who is blind and deaf will probably help the parents to see mm-hmm. the beauty of the human person and right. to hear God's voice uh, in a way that they wouldn't have ever had to otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, a beautiful meditation that help that can help us to grow in this intimate friendship with God is to to spend time meditating on the face of the Lord lighting up mm. at the thought of our name. And then to to do that repeatedly enough to convince ourselves that it's true, because mm-hmm. it is true, right. but I think we don't believe it. Mm-hmm. So we have to overcome our lack of belief that the Lord doesn't tolerate us when he thinks of us his face just lights up because he knows us. And when he thinks of you, his face lights up. And when he thinks of that person who's on my nerves, his face lights up. Uh, I think that kind of prayerful meditation can reorient the relationship such that we are able to trust him in a different way. So I have uh, my last question for you for you both. I think this is a real challenge um, for a lot of people, especially people who experience same-sex attraction, that as a man, all men are called to the vocation of fatherhood in some way. Mm -hmm. And I could understand that being really difficult to understand. You know, what does fatherhood look like in the life of someone who experiences same-sex attraction, who, you know, maybe realizes that marriage is just not in the cards for them? Mm -hmm. What does does that mean? Like... what does fatherhood mean for them? How does that like practically play itself out? You know, I I, uh, I often think, and maybe I told you guys this story last time I was here, of a conversation I had when I was just getting started in the, the central office for Courage. Um, it's a man, he was, uh, he's a military officer, and, and he reached out, and we were talking on Skype, and he was very, very upset. His His, I think it was his sister was about to get married and his best friend's wife had just had a baby and he was about to turn 30, which I think was the most traumatic of the three. Um, and you know, he just was, he, he kind of broke down and he said, all I've ever wanted is a normal life. And I don't know why I can't have what everybody else has, you know? And so I tried all like the, 
typical priest things to like console somebody and, and help them to cheer up. And none of it was working. And it was one of those moments where like the Holy spirit just kind of flaps his wing at you and says, yeah, shut up and try this, you know? And so, you know, I remember that he was, you know, he's on a, on a military base. I said, you know what, let's talk again in two weeks. And between now and then keep a little list. I said, every time that a young enlisted person on your base comes into your office and need something. They're lonely or they're homesick or they've got a new job and they don't know how to do it or somebody's giving them a hard time or they got a letter from, you know, a girlfriend that, you know, she's breaking up with them or whatever. Um, help them out. And then when you, uh, when, when they leave, just jot it down. Bullet point. Don't worry about what I'm trying to prove. Just write it down. And he said, okay, okay, I will. So a couple of weeks later, we get back on Skype and, you know, he's just beaming, right? And, he's, and I, so I played a call. I'm like, so what, what's been going on since we talked last? I have to tell you about my list, he said. Well, tell me about your list. And he starts reading some things. He said, and then he just kind of, he got there before I had to get him there. He just said, I never knew so many people depended on me. Mm. I said, yeah. And for them in that moment, you're a father figure. Right. And you're loving them in a way that that helps them to grow and that looks out for what they need and that's self-sacrificing and you're not afraid to spend time and to give of yourself. I said, you're a father to them. And I don't know if these attractions are ever going to change. I don't know if God is going to send some woman into your life to, you know, just sweep you off your feet. I don't know, you know, what he has in mind. I don't know if he, Jesus is coming this afternoon. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and all this <laughs> and all this anxiety is for naught. Right. I said, but what I know is that you know from experience what it feels like to be a father figure. You mm -hmm. now know from experience because you paid attention to it uh, that that fatherhood, spiritual fatherhood, is not second best love. It's not a consolation prize, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, you know, the devil's always going to get us to think about the things that are wrong or what we don't have, you know. But the one thing he knows human nature very well. The one thing that the devil does not understand is gratitude, mm -hmm. right? When we take things seriously, we name them, we call them, and we're intentional about gratitude. It's an almost bulletproof shield against the, mm -hmm. the things that he throws at us because he doesn't know how to counteract that. And so to really pay attention to how they're already being having an influence on people, already being help and support and encouragement, which is what a father's supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? And then to remember that all fatherhood is delegated. There's only Jesus is right when he says you have one father, your father in heaven. Mm -hmm. And yeah. all of us spiritual fathers, fathers of families, we're all just doing our best to imitate him. Mm -hmm. But if we're never talking to God the Father like dad to dad, comparing notes, right? It's just like we have to talk to Jesus shepherd to shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we talk to to God the Father, you know, father to father and tell him where it's stressful, but let him tell us where he's proud of us, you know, and what he sees that we're doing to reinforce that. We're always going to be chasing our tail on that. But when, when we realize how he fathers us, then we can do that for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of fatherhood, uh, is in internal in the way that a man conceives of himself and his mission in the world. And if you take the via negativa, you know, if you have a man who maybe is even married these days, a lot of men are biological fathers of children and they're not married to the mothers. But even if he's married, but he never takes on the role, he never takes on the responsibility, the generativity of this next generation. This is my child and the children after. Whereas you have another man who has no children 
no biological children, but understands that young people around him can benefit from what God has given him and what God is giving him in his life, in his experiences, in his self-understanding, then he's going to relate to people in a different way, and they are going to be drawn to him in a different way. Mm -hmm. We all had teachers who we were drawn to because we experienced from them an interest, a sense of purpose with us. And so the same for a person who is wondering, what if I never marry? How can I be a father? You can be a powerful father, maybe a more powerful father than many of their biological fathers if, the, if they're not engaged. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bishop, I want to thank you so much for being mm -hmm. able to, uh, you know, to promote courage, to make sure that courage and encourage here in the diocese. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not just saying that because you're my boss. I've said that before, <laughs> before you were my boss, so yeah, you can go right. back and check the archives. Right. Um, and, and Father Bocchanzi, I'm so th grateful for you being here as well and, and for your mission. Me too. And yeah, we're... Uh, always happy to help any way we can with 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 courage and encourage oh, and, 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 and you yeah. guys. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I'll give you guys one last you know if, uh, welcome like welcoming anybody into the church or anybody that, you know we need everybody in the church. Uh, everybody oh, yeah. plays you know plays part in the body of Christ. I'll let you guys have the last word. Yeah, and I, I think all the information for our uh, two chapters, our courage chapter and our encourage chapter, are on our website. So that's one way to find them. You can also simply send an email to me. But Father Todd Nance and Father John O'Neill are the two uh, priests who are in charge of Father Todd Nance, the Courage Chapter, and Father John O'Neill, the Encourage Chapter. They can uh, connect you with the regular meetings and so forth that they have. And uh, it's a tremendously valuable uh, friendship. It's a, it's a way to find a group of people who understand where you're coming from and who are striving after the same things that you're striving after. Yep, and uh, if people want to know how to how to just have a conversation about this, like in their parish, uh, forum.org has some resources that mm. we produced, a documentary called Desire of Everlasting Hills, mm -hmm. and uh, a five-part video series called uh, called Invited to Courageous Love, which is designed for parish faith formation groups. Uh, it's got a booklet with uh, with follow-up questions and discussion guide, mm. et cetera. And, and yeah, just once again to invite people to consider coming to the Courage Conference uh, July 28th to 31st uh, at Mandelein Seminary outside of Chicago. Beautiful place. It mm. is. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Bishop, you want to end with your blessing? And I think in July you would even be able to fish. <laughs> 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 the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with, and your, with your spirit. spirit. May Almighty God send his blessing upon you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks so much. I think I looked at them because I looked at that camera. Yep. That's okay. the one. Yep. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Juan. Thank you, Jim. Now, of course, before he goes away, we'll do the memorari. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, if oh, thank you. Juan, if you will... Uh,